Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, Go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. The presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. So our go-to expert on all things military and strategy is Colonel Jeff McCausland from CBS. He joins us now. Colonel, always a pleasure. Uh, Your reaction to hearing that, Colonel? Well, quite frankly, I find it irresponsible, somewhat surprising for a lack of understanding by a former president. And in some ways, Offensive. Let me take each one of those in a bit more detail. Uh, irresponsible because obviously it has a direct effect on alliance. We've seen the reaction from NATO leaders. The Secretary General of, United, of NATO actually came out and said this is damaging to NATO, damaging to NATO security and to NATO forces. Comes at a tough moment when we're in the midst of a congressional effort to try to vote, frankly, additionally military aid <clears throat> to support Ukraine. And frankly, we all know that the one person that was most delighted, and I think we can probably all agree with this, hearing this particular remark was Vladimir Putin. And one of my rules right now is don't do anything that makes Vladimir Putin happy. The second thing is I'm kind of surprised by a lack of understanding for somebody who really in many ways is running as an incumbent, you could say, because Mr. Trump Mm -hmm. spent four years in the White House. Um, All these countries are paying their bill to NATO. The bill to NATO, which is for NATO infrastructure and the NATO headquarters and the like, is relatively small, and they've all paid that bill. What he's talking about is uh, their commitment to their own defense, what they're spending on their own defense. And NATO as an alliance a number of years ago uh, agreed on guidelines that each country would spend up a 2% of their GDP on defense. And you could argue how you define 2% of GDP all day long, but a number of them have not met that goal. He's right in that regard for a host of domestic, political, and economic reasons. Many of them now have moved up, obviously, dramatically uh, in the aftermath of, of the invasion of, of Ukraine. But it's surprising he doesn't understand, apparently, the difference between that. And then finally, if you walk away from NATO, which would seem to or, or say you're not going to protect them, then what you basically are in, in doing, which is what we always tried to avoid, was would we be in a better world for the United States security-wise if Germany, Sweden, Finland, Spain, Italy, perhaps, Uh, decided that they were going to build their own nuclear weapons because they needed something to deter a threat by a large aggressor since they couldn't depend on on the United States. And that, to me, would not be good for us as a nation as well. And and lastly, I find it somewhat offensive, frankly, having spent 11 years of my life physically in Germany, 
um, helping to part and parcel to defend the integrity of NATO, real, thinking that NATO had more value than just being a trans- monetary transaction. It's about the defense of values. It's about what the United States gains economically, diplomatically, in terms of world influence by being the leader of NATO, uh, which I would argue outstripped some of the monetary costs. Though there's still a reason to urge and push and cajole NATO allies to meet those particular goals, but those are goals. Interesting. Um, I, I, I'd be curious to get, Colonel, your position on just the broader strategy. I think when we hear commentary on things like you know the, the operations of NATO, we're getting very amateurish right. opinions. People that don't understand how it works. Talk about how the talk about what the point is of keeping everything going so that you don't run into those bigger, bigger problems down the road. Well, you have to understand, you know, NATO is part and parcel of a host of really international institutions that we help create. We, the United States, in the aftermath of the Second World War, NATO comes about in 1949. There are other things: the World Trade Organization, the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, a number of those things, the UN to some degree. All these were to create international norms in terms of security, economics, and diplomacy. And that system actually worked pretty well. And uh, one thing we need to recognize, the Cold War, which goes on, of course, from 1949 until the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. And NATO was an instrumental part of the deterrence of the Soviet Union. It's, you know, obviously hard to write history backwards. But if you take NATO out of that, you say NATO never existed I would argue the likelihood of a major war between the United States and the Soviet Union goes up astronomically during that particular period of time. It doesn't happen. And we see stability in Europe for the first time in an awfully long time. And we don't see major disruptions of international security in Europe until you really get to uh, the invasion of Ukraine in 2014 and now the subsequent invasion of Ukraine by Mr. Mr. Putin in 2022. So NATO has served that purpose of stability and international norms. For all those years, yes, the United States has spent an awful lot of money on that particular venture. But I would point out, in, in all that time, not one single American soldier died in Europe due to combat, to the best of my knowledge, including our peacekeeping operations in places like Bosnia and Kosovo. Uh, we're talking to Colonel Jeff McCausland from CBS News. Uh, Colonel, if a president, President Trump, Biden, uh, whoever, made this decision to do that. We're going to, you know what? We're out of NATO. We're disbanding NATO. They're, they're on their own. I know you're not a constitutional law scholar, but would they have the ability, the right to do that? Or would Congress get involved? Well, that's a really interesting question, actually, because a few months ago, the United States Congress, by an overwhelming vote in the Senate, voted and passed a law for saying that a president could not withdraw uh, the United States from NATO absent congressional action. Okay. And many people thought this was even for many Republicans because of their concern that Mr. Trump might pursue this type of action. But the problem with that is twofold. One, and I'm not a constitutional scholar, but I read up on a little bit. There are some constitutional scholars who could argue that may not be, you know, if you took that to the Supreme Court, it may be problematical when you try to interpret that against the Constitution. Number one. Number two, and you can say it doesn't matter because the, the you could say that the president can't pull us out of NATO absent congressional action. But under the Constitution, he is commander in chief of U.S. military forces. So he can make big decisions on whether they're deployed or whether they're not deployed. 
So you can stay in NATO all you want to, but if you're the president of the United States and you say, I want all U.S. military forces out of NATO, I want all, I don't want any U.S. Navy vessels going into European ports, I want all air forces returned to the United States, and we'll still show up for these meetings, okay, every once in a while, <laughs> but uh, we're not going to we're not going to physically contribute any particular forces. You've sort of neuterized the organization, though you may not have formally withdrawn from it. So when you're looking at this from a strategic standpoint, and you mentioned your time in Germany, is it an oversimplification to say that, yeah, you might end up taking on some risk or spending some costs in the short term, kind of like a lot of us do with investments for the long term or our health care for the long term, and you take some of the hits up front so that you don't take the bigger hits down the road? And what I'm not quite sure in what just way by the, pulling the, out of NATO, just the idea of maintaining all of these relationships and keeping things moving forward without getting overly stressed about who's paying what when. Right. Well, it's, a, it's a, this, I call this an insurance policy and you're paying premiums. You know, Winston Churchill once said the only thing worse than fighting a war with allies is fighting a war without allies. <laughs> and I would take if you look at the sort of strategic balance. Okay, who does the Russian Federation have as real allies? Well, Belarus and North Korea and Syria, I guess. Okay, would you swap all our NATO partners for Belarus, North Korea, and Syria as your alliance partners? I wouldn't. So I think you need to look at it in those terms geostrategically is in terms of the value that brings to us, not only in terms of the military value, and it's not insignificant if you look at the forces of Great Britain and France, and frankly, the recent arrival of both Sweden and Finland are not insignificant military powers, but what it provides us in terms of global leadership, the effect on our economy, effect on us diplomatically, the effect on our ability to continue to pursue, as we seem to want to, um, freedom, justice, democracy as norms we think are important. And this is not you know, this is not like the mafia saying you didn't pay your protection money this month, so we're not going to protect you. I mean, that, otherwise you make this into a trans, that's totally a financial transaction. And I'm, I'm not so sure that works. We are talking to uh, our friend Colonel Jeff McCausland. Uh, Colonel, one more piece of sound of uh, former President Trump over the weekend. She said, I will never run against him. Then she comes over to see me at Mar-a-Lago. Sir, I will never run against you. She brought her husband. Where's her husband? Oh, he's away. He's away. Where, what happened to her husband? What happened to her husband? Where is he? He's gone. He knew. He knew. But no. See, his own, his own people are yelling he's deployed. <laughs> so uh, how did that one hit you, Colonel? Right. Well, Mr. Trump and I, frankly, over the years have had a number of disagreements, and one of which is I... Um, I'm very sad that he had bone spurs and therefore was unable to serve in the U.S. military during Vietnam, which he said uh, the most, you know, his, his Vietnam was trying to avoid. One time in an interview, he said on radio, one time his Vietnam was trying to avoid uh, contracting venereal disease while he was a young man in New York City uh, and has made comments, as we all know, calling, you know, John McCain a loser, referring to soldiers buried in cemeteries in France that he refused to visit as suckers and losers. Uh, so to install somebody like that, and then, of course, de- degrading the, uh, Nikki Haley's husband. I'm not here to endorse Nikki Haley but necessarily, but her husband is serving the nation as a National Guardsman, which is a real burden because you give up whatever your military occupation. And there are probably a number of National Guardsmen from Missouri listening to this mm-hmm. interview to go off around the world to serve your country. And that's what he's doing. He should be congratulated for that. He should be thanked for that. 
And for a person who served as president, who should understand that particular sacrifice, and now wants the office again to publicly ridicule him, I'm sort of at a loss for words, I guess is the best thing I can say. That is our friend Colonel Jeff McCausland from CBS News. Colonel, you're always great. Today was especially good. We thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Damn. <laughs> Didn't take any prisoners there, did he? No. Well, he's just repeating the things that he's that Donald Trump has said in the past. I mean, it's all out there. It's all public record. Yeah, that's maybe the most incredible thing about it is that is that there's no like speculation. You know what I mean? Like it's all, all real. I didn't know that his personal Vietnam was avoiding venereal disease. Yeah, oh, I, I think that was a Stern interview. Yeah. Was that a Howard Stern interview? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, doke. Yep. Two twenty two. DGS on Camelwax. Exciting news! It's exciting to me. Uh, so we are going to have. Two new podcasts coming up. Um, we have our podcast now, which is our show that we cut up and we put it out as a podcast. And it does very, very well and millions of downloads. And we thank you all for that. Uh, a big, big percentage of our listening is streaming and people podcasting. And I'll have people text me uh, two days after a show and go like and start a fight with me or like give me something for the sweet 16 or oh my god that's my favorite song uh so a lot of people will listen that way but in the next say give me a month uh we will have a new national podcast that is all of us uh doing similar things but different a little more in depth a little more dgse uh with cussing in there if we want to do that i just say that you know for wheeler uh and <laughs> then i'm also going to be starting a mental health podcast because my company odyssey has a couple of causes one of them climate and the other is suicide prevention and when they heard about what uh, happened with my brother in 2002 uh they reached out to me and it was so sweet it ended up being a guy named dave richards who used to be he used to run the alternative station in Seattle and in about 2004 whenever Howard Stern uh, left to go to uh, uh, Sirius he tried to hire me and uh, and then we got reunited just recently so anyway exciting times for the DGS we'll, we'll tell you all about it as that comes up uh, let me transfer you to someone who cares. Rach, you had a bit of a customer service issue. Yeah. <laughs> no one actually said those words to me, but gosh, it was implied. I <laughs> I messed something up, so I'm trying to fix it. I call. I'm not going to say what company it was. Oh, come on. I will. Okay, fine. It was CVS. Yeah. I call CVS. I've had the pharmacy in particular. Well, it, it, I wasn't calling like a pharmacy. I was calling their helpline. Right. Um, and... I get the automated, you know, what's going on? Tell me, tell me your account number. Well, I can't log into my account. That's the whole problem. So I don't know the account number. So I'm being like kind of short with the robot. And I'm like, talk to a, talk <laughs> to an operator. That be my favorite thing you've ever said. <laughs> I was a little rude to the robot, but I just kept saying like, talk to an operator. Come on, put me through, put me through. And they kept saying, let me transfer you to someone who can help you. But I swear, I swear, the tone of voice of the robot and just the whole vibe, Mm -hmm. I swear they're about to say, let me transfer you to someone who cares. Mm -hmm. And it really felt like that. And then when I finally got a hold of someone, they couldn't have cared less about my issue. I've had terrible. Our company either makes us go to CVS or you get a better deal. I don't know which it is, but that's where I always go. And I know that they're different. Kevin, I think you love yours. Mine's the best. I love them. Mine is terrible. 
And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's not even supposed to be like anything about the company itself. Yeah, say every. I think every company that's big is like that when you're trying to do this, right? Or if you're trying to cancel something. But it was just it was just the nature of the nature of customer service nowadays. Just feels like what can I do? What's the bare minimum I can do to get you off of this phone call? Yeah, (laughs) yep. I I know that like I'm there's a service that I'm going to be canceling soon, and every time I get on there, it's like your call is valuable. We'll get to you in an hour mm-hmm. and 42 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are you How serious? How is call valuable at that point? Why can't I cancel online? Why can't I just go on the website or on an app and say, cancel this subscription? Oh. Because they don't want you to. They want to make you wait. Have, companies have slashed the customer service side so that it's down to robots and then like three people. Yeah. And there's no like... I hate to say, you know, I hate to do like a carrot and a stick thing, but there's no like punishment for bad customer service yeah, anymore. It's true. So where it used to be like, ah, I, uh, I have to do a great job giving this guy customer service because otherwise I'm going to get in trouble with my boss and it's going to be a big problem. It's my whole job. Instead, it's just like, yeah, we don't care. They don't care anymore. Yeah. So it's like you can literally say to somebody like, yeah, let me try talking to somebody who cares. I don't know. Rachel had a bad... Uh food delivery last night no it wasn't bad i it was this was completely user error i was the genius who decided (laughs) oh it's super bowl sunday i'm gonna order some wings on uber eats no one else in st louis will be doing that so i ordered (laughs) and i'm like oh cool it'll be here in 30 minutes well like an hour and a half went by and it was just taking forever and i did finally get the wings and they were great uh, and my my uh, Uber Eats driver was really nice too because I it kept saying like you should thank them because they're waiting for your order and yeah. so I sent him a message like thank you so much for waiting and then uh, you know thirty minutes go by and I'm like um is there an ETA on this or <laughs> thank you again for waiting though Andrew I told these guys uh, so I've been uh, working very hard to get in shape and lose some weight down about I don't know twelve fifteen pounds nice. in the last twenty days or so so you know me I'm streaky. I'm I'm getting bigger or I'm getting smaller. Mm-hmm. And uh but last night about eight PM I hadn't eaten much all day and I decided I want a Burger King burger. Yeah, That's what do. I want. Yeah, you do. Burger King. So I just ordered the smallest thing. I think it's the smallest thing I've ever ordered. It was yeah. just literally a cheeseburger, like tiny fries <laughs> and a soda. I think it was eleven dollars, but I wanted to take care of the person, so I gave him seven, eight dollar tip Oof. to to because it's Super Bowl. Yeah. Right? And what I didn't look at was the extra charge for Super Bowl, and it was like $33 total. What? And I just hit place order and didn't pay any attention because I was, you know, at Super Bowl, I'm going to have a hamburger. Yeah. (laughs) That is really frustrating that they have an an additional charge for Super Bowl or whatever because I guarantee you that money is not going to the drivers and it's not going to the restaurants, which means that's just DoorDash tacking on or whatever service you used. Picturing Mr. Burns. Tacking, well, literally, that's just them tacking on. <laughs> Making some more money. An arbitrary fee. He wants a burger and Super Bowl, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Yoink. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. DGS on Kim Wax. It is so weird you playing this song because I was going to say something to my next guest, uh, my good friend Tom Ackerman. Hello, Tom. Hey, what's going on? How you doing? Uh, what I was going to say is, and I mean this sincerely, that I consider Tommy Ackerman to be my generation of KMOX's Jack Buck in the professionalism, in the quality of his broadcasting, in his community service, and just kind of the overall vibe. I know that's a big thing to say, and I know I owe you money. Um, <laughs> but I really, truly believe that. I think you are uh, my generation's Jack Buck, so thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Well, then let me return the favor and say that you're our generation. Generations Jack Carney. Thank you, buddy. That's really sweet. You know, you really, I mean, you know, you're my voice in the afternoon and I love listening to you. And and those are big words, man. I mean, that's a, that is a big uh, (laughs) intro for me. So very kind of you to say. Thank you very much. Right back at you. Uh, Okay. So pitchers, catchers, win? Uh, Tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. Catchers before tomorrow, it's time. It's time to play. That's great. First workout Wednesday. Let's go. First workout Wednesday. So that means they show up tomorrow and. You know, they say that they're there, but a lot of them are there. And, in fact, a lot of them live there. Uh, so, you know, it's time to get going here and get this last year uh, in the rearview mirror. All I right, mean, let it's, me, it's let time me to turn the page. turn you over to my partner, who I consider to be this generation's <laughs> Matt Pauly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the previous generation's Matt Pauly. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, what, I, I know we, we've talked a lot off the off the air you know, via text and all that. So I, I have an idea of where you're going to go, but... What's the most important thing you think we can learn from the spring about the Cardinals this year? Absolutely starting pitching, number one on the list. I mean, can these pitchers, first of all, you know, it is a pitcher's park. So from a statistical standpoint, you know, it is hard to hit in Jupiter. So it is pitcher's advantage. Yes. So if you yes. see good numbers here. Why is that, guys? Um, it, just the, the combination of the distance uh, of, of a, what it would take to hit a home run, but it's really the the wind – um, the, the conditions are favorable yeah. in that park. No elevation pitchers. either. You, you're at yeah, sea level. It's, it is hard to get the ball in the air. So that I think is an advantage to the pitcher. So the numbers might be advantageous to the pitcher, but really you want to see pitchers throwing strikes. I know this seems very simple, but can, I know we talk a lot about innings, but you get innings because you throw strikes and you get swing and miss, and you get through. So Gray, Gibson, whatever the, the combination is, Gray, Michael, is Gibson, Lynn, Mats, whatever these five. And then there's going to be others too. I mean, Zach Thompson needs to show what he can do because he's the next man up if one of them goes down, and odds tell you that one of them's going to go down. So you, you've got to be able to have a good stable of starting pitching. That is number one for me, as well as their connection with Wilson Contreras. He is going to catch the bulk of the innings this year with Yvonne Herrera backing him up. So that is something absolutely to watch. And then number two for me is the competition in the bullpen. They have now, with a, a another minor league signing, they've acquired 10 pitchers in this offseason. That's a lot. Three starters, seven relievers. 
So what do they do when it comes to making decisions in this bullpen? Not to mention the pitchers that they did acquire at the deadline last year. Some of them will be starting in the minors. But they have some good decisions to make here, and I can't wait to see how it all shakes out in the staff. What's your level of concern about the age of the starting rotation, guys? I mean, Stephen Matz is the young one. He turns 33 in May. So we're talking about Sonny Gray, I think is 34. Lance Lynn is 36. Kyle Gibson's 36. Miles, I think is 35. What, what, how much of that is the concern? I know that they bring a lot of things the team wanted, right? Veteran experience. They've been, win- they've been on winning teams. There's a lot to like. But what's your concern about their age? You know, it's interesting. I'd say the one that I'm most concerned about is the youngest one, Matt's. You know, he's not made enough starts. <laughs> yeah. He hasn't, you know, he gets hurt a lot. Now, I know he has good stuff, but, you know, he, he has not shown that he can pitch through a full season. I'd say in terms of age, Lynn and Gibson seem to me to be mostly on the back end of their careers. I think Gray still has a lot in front of him, and so does Matt's. And then that leaves you Michaelis. I think Michaelis has been... And I'm not going to unwood while I say this, but he's been pretty stable here. He's been a guy that you can lean on. I think last year he just was given no favors. He didn't get any action in the World Baseball Classic. He was basically throwing spring training at the start of the regular season. I'd really like to see, you know, I think just overall, can we get Ollie Marmol a regular spring training for once? I mean, whether it's COVID or a lockout or the World Baseball Classic, can we get this guy a roster of pitchers that can actually go out and do what they're supposed to do? So that, to me, is more important than the age of these pitchers. I like the fact that they're experienced and that they know what they can do to get outs, and they know what went wrong last year, and I'm pointing directly at Lance Lynn here, that when he gave up all those home runs and hits that he knows – how to get that number reduced and that the Cardinals acquired him because they know how to do that. So you, I mean, you get a chance on a weekly basis to talk to Ollie and to talk to Mo. Uh, and I know you held that. We, we had the big event with Ollie the other, uh, what was it like a week and a half, two weeks ago, uh, where it was kind of a behind the scenes chat. When you're looking ahead at this year and you're listening to what he tells you both on and off the record, when you're looking at, what the team has said publicly about trying to turn away from last year and move to something else. Are there keys? Are there things that you're going to watch from him or from the coaching staff as the spring goes that maybe we could learn something from? I think that he definitely, uh, how he deals with pressure um, is a, a big thing because this is a, obviously a huge year for him and the staff and for everybody and how he gets this team to play together, how he creates a positive atmosphere. It's a long season. You have to be a family. And one of his strong points is he understands people. He's got to be able to use that to his advantage. And he cannot, and I don't think he will, be looking over his shoulder. He has got to have a staff that can help him. I think that Daniel Descalzo is a big pickup for them. It's his friend. It's somebody that he came up through the organization with. He trusts. I think the Yadier Molina's presence is something that Ali actually encouraged and he wants. And I do not think, and I believe him when he says that, you know, he's not looking over his shoulder or anything like that. I mean, I, I think truthfully, he wants as much help as possible to get this team moving forward. I think they actually added Matt Carpenter also just to have a little extra voice out there. I'm not sure he. You know, I got to be convinced that he's going to make the team. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm yep. not too worried about him. Um, but, but just having extra voices and extra leadership 
and him embracing that and leading this team forward. You have to be able to trust the person next to you, and they have to be a winning group. And what I mean by that is we can't let, uh, if you're the Cardinals, let anybody stray off on their own. This is not a look-at-me type of situation here. The Cardinals must be one unit and play well together. And that usually comes together when you're winning. So find a winning formula, get this starting staff, because that affected everything last year. Get them rolling. Let the offense do what it does. The defense should improve, and the bullpen should have not as much work to do. They should, in theory, have a shorter workload in games to do what they do, and hopefully it all comes together. Uh, Before we let Tommy Ackerman go, Tom, what did you think of the Super Bowl yesterday? I thought it was a good football game. I think the defense played a huge role in why it was so low scoring. They played great defense. I mean, both both of these sides had to deal with a very good defense. But really, when it comes down to the game, if you hand the ball over to Patrick Mahomes and you only are up by three and he can beat you with a touchdown, you're in big trouble. I mean, he is one of the best this game has ever seen. And I'm not sure that we've ever seen a quarterback quite like him, honestly, who who can innovate and and do what he can do um, in relatively short period of time and make it look easy. And it is not. I mean, the way he's able to take off like he did with that scramble to get them down inside the 20, and then they score the game-winning touchdown. The Chiefs are going to be great for a long time. He's only 28 years old. He Mm -hmm. won three Super Bowls. But it really was the defense that I thought was the star yesterday. And I thought it was a good football game. And I enjoyed myself, and I I liked all – all the other parts of it, too. Halftime was good. Uh, the Taylor Swift effect is real, and I thought it was great. I think Travis Kelsey you know, got hot, and he pushed Andy Reid, and I didn't like it because I love Andy Reid, but I understood it because Travis Kelsey has been doing that forever, not pushing coaches, but getting hot <laughs> on the sideline. He's, See, a, he's, he's a wild man. This, I mean, is why, this is why Tom Ackerman is the Jack Buck of, of our generation. I started the show like a pinched-faced goblin, like, this Super Bowl so stupid. And, and who's Usher? I don't even know who that, like, oh, God. Tom's like, I enjoyed it all. I'm enjoying my life. And yeah, I mean, time. you know, like, what? It's just, you know, it's Sunday. We like to have drinks and eat food and watch the Super Bowl. I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm 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 over it now. It was great. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was fine. Uh, it was a, I just don't. And I I got to tell you, I don't get into all the pregame stuff. I've been doing this for a long time. I kind of just I'm ready when it's kickoff. Yeah. Yep. Let's watch some football. I oh, I, I know what I want to ask you guys. Two professional broadcasters here, and I'm not asking to, to to crap on the guy, but I don't know that much about Tony Romo as a broadcaster. I'd heard he was the second coming. Then I'd heard like, oh, he's terrible, and now people are complaining about him yesterday. What's the beef? Well, I'll say this about Romo: he is very smart and he knows the game. I'm not sure how much because he is so smart and knows the game. I'm not sure how much of broadcast prep that he's doing or not um the only criticism that i will say i think he's brilliant and he can read in real time a situation that you and i can't do and that most people can't but i don't like that he spends so many words on it (laughs) so yeah like jim nance is one of the best in the game let jim nance 
set up the final play of the Super Bowl. Yeah. I don't need to hear you talking about it over and over. And then by the time he's done talking, they snap the ball, and Jim's like, there's a, yeah. the end zone, and the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. I mean, let him set it up a little bit. Yeah, that, I, I think I, I'm not – there are a lot of people that hate Tony Romo. I do not hate Tony Romo. I like that he's actually having fun. Like, I want an analyst to actually act like they're having fun. I think Greg Olson's probably the best in the business. But Romo's fun because he'll tell you a little bit of what's going to happen right before it happens because he can see it in formations. Yeah. But he stepped all over the game-winning Super Bowl call. I mean, you got to know when to shut up. And he it doesn't feel like he gets coached yeah. because he does a lot of the same things. Like I, was, I, t- I tweeted last night, he said the word layered talking about the offensive yeah. scheming. <laughs> he said it like 18 times in two minutes. Like, dude, get a new word. But also... Do a little more homework on some of these things because he had other NFL players yeah. critiquing him because he was saying that the bad snaps for the Kansas City Center is unusual when they've been happening all season long. Andrew, yeah. did you make a note that at 247 Wheeler said you have to know when to shut up? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> cool. Good. Well, I said he has to, not me. <laughs> yeah, erase that. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Question for you guys. Apropos of the documents, specifically in Joe Biden's house. So in his garage, literally under a disassembled dog crate, uh, is a dilapidated box that they couldn't even pick the box up. They had to transfer the files, uh, many of which were classified. Your own best guess, because none of us really know, and Joe Biden may not know, but your best guess. Do you think that uh, Joe Biden and other presidents, I'm taking Trump out of it because he's been indicted for something specific. Do you think that they are so fast and loose with these documents because they know or at least believe like, yeah, classified documents, I get it. But, you know, no one's going to come into my garage and take something. You see what I'm getting at? Do you think that they just think like, I know you guys think it's a big deal and it is, but this isn't a big deal. I I think it's probably very similar to the way we feel about being on the air. Uh, We take it for granted because we're used to it. So I think when you're just used to dealing with that sort of information. Everything you look at is classified. Yeah, it's like, all right, well, I need to take this home and get it done. And if I misplace it, I misplace it. I don't think it's like any sort of like, oh, you idiots. You have no idea what's going on. I think it just becomes commonplace. But yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. You put hands on like, what, 100 plus classified documents a day when you're president? You know what I mean? I can imagine that it would be, and not only that too, but like, I think there's also maybe it's like documents are really easy to get rid of. What do you think? I think you're right, and I think it still sucks. Yeah, I mean, there's a that's process. How, that's how bad things happen. Yeah, the, this yeah. The, there's a there's a process. If you don't think something is a big deal, then go through the steps to declassify it and then take it home. Like, think about it. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you got to do the steps. <laughs> do the steps. Like fill out the paperwork, and actually, they don't. Even, that's the crazy thing; they don't even have to do that. They just tell someone else. <laughs> yeah, it's not like they have to. Yeah, fill it's out not the like you know, like the president's got to get on his laptop and go. Hold on, I got to fill out these forms. <laughs> you just tell the person next to you, "Hey, that's I want that declassified. Fill out the paperwork. He's holding up. I know. Yes, and somebody else will do the like that. We need to be more strict on procedure. That's one of the, you know. It's it's what strikes me about when you listen to someone like Colonel McCausland or someone in the military. Very much about procedure and follow the steps and follow the rules this is how things get done yeah maybe we should be doing that following the rules a little bit stronger then we have a little bit less of this nonsense pretty loosey-goosey yeah like if paper if things can just walk out the door probably not a good system yeah
Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. 